and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is Irreverent, Faith and Current Affairs. Yes, thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Irreverent Faith and Current Affairs with me, the Reverend Jamie Franklin. I'm introducing this week and I think everyone's much more comfortable than that than the aberration we had last time with Tom introducing. But Tom is back with me, Tom Pelham, the Reverend Tom Pelham, uh, curate extraordinaire down in the old pool they've got now. How are you doing, Tom, today? I'm I'm just going to repeat what I said earlier because I still think it's true. I, I benchmarked your... You've got, you've got to live up to my extraordinary enthusiasm of introducing last week. Actually, people said it was refreshing. I think they said it was refreshing. Uh, and I think, it, I think it sort of lifted the tone of the episode, actually, Jamie. I, I really do. <laughs> I didn't do. see any of those comments personally, and I, I look quite closely at the comments. But so It's on YouTube. Someone said it. Oh, really? Okay. Someone also, yeah. Someone also said that we were uh, not homeless, and that was a problem. I don't know why. Yeah. It's very yeah. weird, wasn't it? Whoever you are... Um, you know, I understand kind of where you're coming from. I have slept in the cold before, uh, and uh, but obviously I, I could never really experience being homeless. Uh, anything would just be a uh, sort of um, uh, a sort of lie, really, because I have a home and, and a family, and so obviously while I have compassion and empathy and do what I can to help those who don't have what I have, um, I can't really change my own circumstances. Nor should you really make it a criteria for recruiting. Uh, presbyters into the Church of England. Anyway, yeah. that's what I'd like to say to you. Um, no, yeah, yeah. You, are there any other haters, Tom, that you want to silence at this point in the show? Someone didn't like the carbon mic uh, intro. Um, it's, it's too commercial. Yeah, I quite like it. I quite like it. Though I do like the bit on the old one. Too commercial. In what way? I don't know. They just said it was too commercial. I did. It's not commercial. I mean, commercial. I did that especially for the one-year anniversary. I know. It's it's very special. It's very special. I'm, I'm so I'm so downcast now. Oh, sorry. Um, well, thanks for drawing my attention. To that well, we like <laughs> we like the new introduction. I um, do. Well, I hope you do anyway. I do. Um, I do. So uh, we're also joined by someone else. We should we should introduce Christine. No, no, no I, was, I was just about to get to that. Um, okay. I just good. wanted to give you an opportunity to silence all the haters first. Um, <laughs> so yes, so we've got a special guest today, uh, Christine Padgham. Christine, Hello. welcome to the show. It's good. To, it's good Hi. to have you on. Thank you for having me on. Well, we're really excited. It's a great and, uh, honor. Oh well, well, the honor is all of, all ours, Christine, mm-hmm. uh, to have you. And um, so, for people who don't know Christine, I'm really excited about this because um, I've been on Christine's podcast, which is called Corona Stories, which she hosts with Sylvia. I don't know Sylvia's last name, Christine. What's her last name? I don't think she doesn't. She doesn't she do doesn't that. All right, she, she she stays anonymous. Well, with Sylvia, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and they're they're two uh, Scottish women. Um, strong Scottish women who uh, don't hold back, give it both barrels, uh, exploring everything to do with uh, the things that have been happening over the last uh, two years or so. And uh, I was on there and um, I I was re-listening to the episode uh, earlier on today, actually, while I was while I was working out. And um, I just was feeling really pumped listening to that conversation and just thinking this this is going to be an excellent opportunity to revisit uh, some of those themes, Christine. So Christine's um, she's a former uh, physicist, uh, now a mother, uh, podcast host, host of the mm-hmm. Corona Stories podcast, which I'll link to, by the way, uh, for anyone who wants to uh, check you. it out. What's that? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I will. I will. You'll get. We will link you. Don't you worry. Um, and uh, she blogs at informscotland.uk. Now you were saying, Christine, that it's really important that um, we 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 differentiate 
informscotland.uk from another Inform Scotland, which is some kind of some kind of lunatic outfit. No, it's not. A, no, it's a very good website. I'm sure. Sorry, I apologise. It's, um, it's a sort of anti-BBC website. Oh, that sounds really good. <laughs> I apologise. I have some sympathy with that website, but that's not us. We're informscotland.uk. Right. And it's basically all things COVID. Right. All things COVID, yes. And 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 could you, we can talk about this a bit later. You're also a member of the Heart Group as well, the HRT um, group, which is also responding to the old um, coronavirus uh, crisis. Um, what what does InformScotland.uk do, uh, Christine? Well, um, we have our website, which is where I blog, and there's another uh, member who blogs on there, and it's basically about COVID data for Scotland it's just a place to put the latest statistics um, and we have the odd article and things there's a bit of advice about what to do if your employers forcing you to get vaccinated and that kind of thing on there just now and we have a YouTube channel which is so far just me again doing video blogs of the data yeah yep. we're about to set up a podcast actually yes so we're quite looking forward to that Yes. Um, but there's quite a big group of us in Inform Scotland, but a lot of people have to remain anonymous or they, they're not willing to go public because of their employment and things. But we're, So actually, for me, the principal function of it is it's like a support group for us all yeah. uh, to go and share yeah. our trials. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes. Well, we're, we're really looking forward to hearing more about about that, um, Christine. You've also got a really uh, interesting kind of um, journey in terms of your uh, church churchmanship as well, haven't you? You told me that you're a, you're, you were a Roman Catholic, but you got annoyed with the Roman Catholic Church for being yeah. um, for being political in a particular way. Is that what you said? And then um, then you were a part of the church, the Church of Scotland. And uh, but you yeah, but that was but you got annoyed with them as well. <laughs> and now you're a, a free church sounds, Presby- Presbyterian. Well, I've been going to the free okay. Presbyterian Church of Scotland, um, the local one, just because I'm, I'm quite in the mood for serious and sombre worship at the moment. But yeah, that has been my journey. So I've gone from one end of the Scottish spectrum to the other. Right, okay. So, so have you got? Is that down the candle then? Sorry, is that down the candle? Do you know what that means? No. Down. The, so, so, go on, Tom. Well, it, it is. It isn't. It's got. It's got to be. So, but it doesn't really work in in the, in the Church of Scotland in the same way. So, it's this oh. idea in the Church of England that that sort of uh, is a metaphor of the candle. And Jamie's up the candle. That's high church, and then you know, oh, down yeah. the candle is low mm-hmm. church. Um, you're not even on the candle, Tom. I'm not even on the candle. I think candles are unhelpful on the altar. No, <laughs> you're trying to subvert the whole. The whole. They're okay. It's a bit like um, you know, the, the whole point of having them there isn't as a metaphor. It's just to provide light so you can read by. Um, it's, Tom, just... it's really, really unhelpful explanation of what that, what that, what that uh, phrase means. <laughs> It wasn't. Uh, I think. I think it's, it's basically high church is up the candle, low church is down the candle, and um, so so yeah, it does seem like you've gone down the candle, Christine. So presumably, okay. presumably fewer. I'm comfortable in all churches. I right. still go to mass occasionally, yeah. and I um, 
But I, I have been a bit disappointed with the Church of Scotland. I feel like it's become a state church and I don't like that very much. Yes, yes. They were very unhappy when our friend William Philip took the government to court and yeah. uh, got them to stop closing the churches down. The Free Church of Scotland thought that was really bad, that they weren't able to be uh, forced to close by the Scottish government. Well, it's, it's presumably because then they had to actively close themselves, didn't they? And then the, the sort of they can't just point to a convenient excuse anymore. They, they actually have to be in the position yeah. of what? Christian ministers closing the church. God, sorry. No, I'm William Philip, I'm very proud to say, as a friend of mine, and I don't like the way the church responded to a perfectly reasonable action by a citizen and minister to take the government to court. And he won his case. So mm. I don't understand how you could possibly criticise somebody for fighting for people's right to worship. I mean, yeah. I, that, and this is what I mean. I find that attitude of the church actually really troubling. I, yeah. Well, so do we. Do you know, I, I, was, um, I was named on the English uh, equivalent, Jamie, uh, Christian Concerns uh, court case. Really? I was a I was a named person on that, yeah. Were you? Yeah. Why didn't you tell me about this? You tell um, me everything about yourself. I I, don't, I just I feel, just I feel hurt. <laughs> sorry. Uh, well, there was like fifty of us, and um, uh, basically uh, it was dropped because I think after the Scottish one, it, I have a feeling that Scottish law obviously doesn't cause precedent in in the uk in england but it yeah. can be referred to or something like that yeah no no it's very um, likely it's very likely the same thing would have happened here as a result and so i think the government just basically said look we're not going to do it again and indeed they didn't and so christian concern decided to that it wasn't worth pursuing um because it was obviously quite expensive but i was a name i was a name on that yeah yeah oh wow good for you i didn't realize yeah. that um well we're going to talk about this kind of thing in a bit more detail later there's a couple of things i wanted to uh follow up on so um daniel did a really good podcast this week basically just reading out an article he wrote for the mallard magazine i never heard of mallard to be honest with you but maybe it's a really big deal. mallard uk yeah, yeah. mallard uk yeah. mallard is a type of duck and it's a it's a fast uh, fastest steam engine which i know because my son really likes trains um, does the Church of England want you? I really recommend this because it's it's a very good, it's very perspective. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it turns the sort of idea of um, what it means to be a member of an organisation on its head, doesn't it? You know, and basically says, is it is being sort of um, uh, are, are we in order to try and make our church attractive to everyone, making it unattractive to everyone? Effectively, is what it's asking, isn't it? Yep. Uh, you know, do we actually need to work out what we what we are? Well, uh, we obviously do. We need to work out. I mean, it's not to say we're exclusive, but we need to we need to be unashamed of um, of sort of being a Christian church. It's, it's, you know, you know the uh, thing about that. You know the thing about it, which I thought was so good, is it that it just encapsulates. Um, so much of what I think we've been trying to do on this podcast, which is to say that, um, you know, we really don't believe, or at least I don't anyway, I don't believe that that this strategy of just um, of just basically wokeifying absolutely everything and trying to appeal to a certain type of political, a, a certain uh, political demographic and a certain age demographic that the church in the way that the church of england is trying to do i don't believe that this is going to work because basically i don't think it's particularly interesting or attractive to people i think generally speaking people are far more interested in the church and this is what daniel gets so so right they're far more interested in the church when the church is actually being itself and talking about things like god and the supernatural and and actually people do like 
tradition and traditional forms of liturgy and people do like things which are interesting and and deep and and um very rooted in in the uh history and, and culture of the church and what we need to do is not this this sort of you know superficial kind of sell out rubbish what we need to do is actually is actually to double down on on our identity as as christians and as the christian church and 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 daniel said uh, and maybe this this um this might be your experience as well, Christine. I'm sure it is. But but he was talking about the way he has he has inquirers every single week, you know, dozens of inquirers, people emailing him, people phoning him. He spends a long time talking to the to people on the phone, talking about how alienated they feel from the church and how desperately they desperately in need they are for some kind of um, response to everything that's been going on over the last couple of years, which isn't just you know, this kind of bland capitulation, you know, people need depth, they need meaning, and the church isn't offering it. Thoughts? <laughs> well, are, are you getting that in your, um, in your Scottish free Presbyterian church? Is, is, it, uh, is it tickling that, uh, that, that affirmative uh, sort of pr- proclamation of, of the word, Christine, do you think? <laughs> you don't have to speak. <laughs> well, <laughs> don't yeah, slag him off. <laughs> well, I don't like. I don't know what the. I haven't. I'm not really familiar with the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland's position on lockdowns, for example. Mm. But I, yeah, it's a really, really, really traditional church. Right. And you chant the psalms. There's no hymns. There's no music. You know, there's a long sermon focusing on the Bible reading that we've just had and it goes through everything in great detail and I, that is what I want yeah just yeah. quiet like non-charismatic mm. bible yeah. stuff that sounds like your idea <laughs> that sounds like Tom's ideal church it does I hope the walls are all whitewashed as well are they <laughs> yeah there's no no it's very very clean there's not even a cross you know, there we go, Jamie. So I told you that was a thing. Tom was just just before we were recording. Tom was just denouncing the whole imagery as <laughs> idolatrous, superstition. And we had quite a lot of after after your anti-Roman Catholic rant. We had quite a lot of um, feedback last week. By the way, disgruntled Catholics. I hope I'm sorry. No, well, it's like, I just, the thing about you, Tom, which is great, is that you're just completely honest and you just say exactly what you think. And there's never any there's never any side to you. you just know oh, what does Tom think about something It's no, you know, there's no hidden dimension. It's just it's just clear. Um, get you into trouble sometimes, Tom. I, normally not. Although occasionally I've upset. I once upset a liberal curate um, quite a lot because uh, I told her that I thought she really ought to affirm the 39 articles which are the sort of foundational texts of the church of england that she swore that she did affirm already and i heard her swear it because i did it next to her uh and she got really upset with me to you know because that's obviously something which um you know they're just not expected to hold to anymore um i do that i do that quite regularly at training actually upset people because I, I quote the 39 articles and they get all upset um uh, but you know, I mean, that's it's basically very upsetting, Tom. I mean, it's it's a very it's a very unreasonable thing to do to quote the foundational document your of the church, church. <laughs> which priests in the same church. I mean, it's extremely unreasonable. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, no, I, I tend to find it's all right um, because I, I I try and do everything in, in good humour, and I try and just uh, get on with everyone, really, regardless of uh, how they th- think. Well um, 
Tom's got a remarkable ability to say things which, um, if anyone else said them, would be extremely offensive. Jamie said some reason, but if I said them... Jamie's got the opposite skill. He says things that are remarkably inoffensive and everyone gets offended. I say completely Uh, (laughs) things. <laughs> and I end up alienating and annoying people. Uh, speaking of annoying people, um, do you remember we were going to nominate uh, Bernard Randall for this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lincoln, uh, it, Christine, are you are you are you across this story at all? This this um, chaplain, Bernard Randall, who who preached. A, uh, he was a he was a chaplain at uh, Nottingham Trent's College. Or oh, tr- no, it was it was wasn't it was uh, it was a school uh, near Nottingham, Nottingham College or. Uh, yeah, it's, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, it's a posh private school. And uh, Bernard Randall preached. He's a vicar in the Church of England. He preached um, a sermon basically telling the kids that they could make up their own minds about the um, LGBT ideology stuff, which was kind of being uh, it was being promoted by the school because um, um, by virtue of the fact that they were inviting um, activist groups into the school to kind of inculcate um, particularly the staff, but also the children with this kind of extreme version of that particular ideology. Anyway, all he did was he preached a sermon, which is which is on online, the text is online, in which he exhorted students, particularly Christian students, to um, to make up their minds as to what they thought about it based on you know, the resources of scripture, tradition, reason, etc. Anyway, this was uh, this did not go down very well in school and he was eventually um, fired um, as a result of it. Um, but we we like uh, Bernard Randall. He's he's a very good, good man. And uh, good we, think, we think we need more priests like Bernard Randall in the Church of England. And so we have nominated him now officially for the vacant see of uh, Lincoln. So shall I read out my email, which I wrote to? Uh, it's a great email. Very good. Uh, Canon Boddington. Thank you for receiving my email. I hope, that my, I hope the writing in this way will be a sufficient medium through which to propose my nomination for the Episcopal vacancy in the Diocese of Lincoln. Bernard Randall has a PhD from Cambridge in history. That's actually wrong. It's not, it's not right. Uh, it's actually from Manchester and he was a chaplain at Cambridge. So that was a mistake. So sorry about that. Uh, he has a wide variety of experience in ministry. Most recently, he bravely suggested that pupils at Trent College in Nottingham make up their own minds about sensitive cultural issues rather than bowing to the pressure to conform that is so ubiquitous in modern society. As a result, he was shamefully fired by the college and has undergone various unjustified indignities and hardships as a result. He's conducted himself with the utmost honour, grace and dignity throughout. My view is that the Church of England needs bishops who are well-educated, intelligent, full of theological conviction and integrity, willing to suffer hardship for the truth and able to think independently of an increasingly godless and pagan culture. The Reverend Dr. Bernard Randall has demonstrated that he has all of these qualities and I propose him as a suitable candidate for this post. I thank you for reading, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, got a reply. Do you want me to read it? Go on, then. It's not long. Uh, many thanks for taking the time to write, Carolyn. Who is That must be Carolyn Boddington, the, the canon I had to write to. So that's, that's good, isn't it? Uh, presumably, oh, I got another one here as well. Uh, dear Reverend Franklin, on behalf of Carolyn, I would like to thank you for taking the time to put forward your views and the name of the Reverend Dr. Bernard Randall for consideration for the vacancy in the Sea of Lincoln. It is helpful to have your suggestion, which we will share with the Crown Nominations Commission with best wishes, Liz, Liz Dorr, recruitment advisor, recruitment coordinator for the Archbishop's Advisors for Appointments and Development. Yes. So, Tom, it, it looks, looks like it's going to happen, doesn't it? So, well, well, it's obviously, you know, let's hope the spirit moves to Crown Nominations Committee. Uh, but uh, there's, a few, now. there's a few, there's a few, there's a few, <laughs> few to jump through yet. I mean, Liz is, of course, the keeper of the list, isn't she? 
the secretary to the I believe that she's the she's the power broker of the Church of England. Yeah. I, th- I may be wrong. There's basically Christine. You, you might not believe this. Uh, I don't believe it sometimes. But there's one lady who basically controls the whole of the hierarchy of the Church of England by merit of being the single person who has a list of people that she considers uh, to be appropriate for higher ministerial careers, which you can be nominated onto by other people. And basically, she she keeps this list and she puts people on it, she takes people off. And uh, it's pretty unaccountable. And unless you're on that list, you're not going anywhere. Yes, (laughs) that's right. That's right. It doesn't sound like this chap's going to make it. (laughs) I don't think so, but we can always hope. You never know. Now, now the spirit might, you know, they might might move her. What do you mean? You can't, have, you can't have people thinking for themselves. How could you say? <laughs> I mean, I think they reprogram bishops first, anyway, don't they? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, I remain. I remain optimistic. Hopeful. I think we're going to see some movement on there. Uh, what was the? What was the? Um, oh, we had a great. We had a great. So I, I suggested make Lincoln great again, but then Bernard, when I suggested, that he, he said we actually render it in Latin. So it's actually uh, the 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 what do you call it? Like the kind of campaign tagline is now Lindum Remagnificandum Est. Uh, which, I, which I which I'm told means something like it does it does make Lincoln great again. But we've also got other seas, Winchester. Um, so we keep trying your 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 uh, your parish your diocese as well. What's so serum? So, was it Magnificatus Est? Uh, Remagnificandum Est. Remagn- okay, yeah, yeah, make it great again. Of course, yeah, the re. Yeah. 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 So um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, we should go on to talk about some uh, serious stuff. So um, just to so, say that um, we're going to have for our email of the week, which I think we'll do at the end, because I'd like to talk to Christine a bit more um, rather than do all this into church banter. Um, we'll do our we'll do our email of the week at the end. But we do acknowledge that last week we didn't mention the uh, vote about the renewal of the Coronavirus Act. And I think that was because it was probably a mixture of disorganisation and uh, apathy. We'll, we'll, it says most things are in this world. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, we, do you know, are we going to talk about that now? Well, we're going to talk. I think we'll do it because we got this email, so we'll do that at the end, shall we? We'll talk about that when we do, do email of the week, unless you unless right. you're dying, Tom, to say no, that. no, not especially, not especially. We, we also apologise for um, not pronouncing David Amos's name very well. How uh, should you say it? Amos, not um, not Amos. It's a it's a it's like a hard A. So uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's do a let's do a brief scripture reading, and then uh, hopefully we can. This will kind of lead into uh, a more substantive conversation about the matters that we face in these uh, days. So I've just so I'm going to start with Luke chapter twelve, verses forty nine to fifty six, and I've just chosen this because um, it was just one of my lectionary readings this week, and I thought it was uh, particularly interesting. Um, so uh, hopefully it will become clear. So Luke chapter twelve. This is Christ speaking. I came to cast fire upon the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I am constrained until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For henceforth in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against her mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the multitudes, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, 
You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the signs of the times? Um, and so, one, I mean, there are a couple of things here. This first paragraph, I mean, it's, it's very, if, if one is not necessarily familiar with the Gospels, it's actually quite um, surprising that Christ would say something like this. I came to cast fire on the earth. Do you think I came to, to bring peace to the earth? No, but I came to, to divide. I, I came to bring division. And of course, I think that we have to interpret this as meaning that when we believe in Christ, when we believe in the gospel, when we follow the ways of God, it can and frequently does bring about uh, division, often within, within families, very sadly. Uh, but that is the, the cost of discipleship. And then the second part of this, when Christ is um, speaking to the multitudes and he says that you can interpret the weather, essentially, you can, you can make predictions about the future based on the weather, but you don't know how to understand you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times and this really struck me because I was thinking about the church over the last couple of years and I think one of the things that I see is a total inability to it's not it's not just that the church is unable to read the signs of the times that's not what it is it's that the church doesn't even realize that it's supposed to be reading the signs of the times it's like that question has never even has never well, it's, occurred. it's been actively subverted, isn't it? It's not just that we're supposed to read the signs of the times and, and sort of prophesy against them, but but now the signs of the times are actually supposed to guide us, you know, and which is the opposite way around, really. Rather than standing against, we we're supposed to um, just sort of follow. Um, yes, I'm I'm, I'm actually uh, I read an article today um, about Archbishop Welby uh, on Virtue Online. And uh, he, he's issued a call of, uh, to those, uh, you know, recalcitrant bishops who are refusing to come to Lambeth, um, which is the big conference they're having. Um, and uh, <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be awful. Well, it always is awful. Um, I was one, uh, of, I, one of the I, things this, that... Side, sorry. I actually worked at the University of Kent when one of those was going on. Well, I was a yeah. student. But I was also serving coffee in the, 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 the um, cafe bar. And so, so, I, so I served all the bishops from around the world. You? Yeah. Not, not all around the world, because a number of bishops don't go anymore, do yeah, they? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt uh, you. You were saying yeah, something yeah. interesting. Sorry, I, well, I don't know. That's the, we'll, we'll, we'll hear that out until the end and then see whether it is or not. Um, but um, the, the, the problem is that the, a number of uh, provinces are refusing to send bishops because of the um, inability of Lambeth to, uh, to hold any church discipline. Uh, and, um, and other bishops have been straightforwardly refused access, for example, Archbishop Foley, who um, is the ANCA, uh, sorry, ACNA Archbishop. So he's the um, continuing Anglican uh, Archbishop. And basically, um, Welby says, oh, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're supposed to... Um, you know, we're not supposed to be dividing, but we're fine to, he says, we're called to find ways of continuing together. Um, and, I, and I'm not actually certain that we are necessarily called to find ways to continue together sort of through thick and thin in any sort of potential sort of schism, uh, because because actually um, I think Christ does tell us here that, that it's going to be, the divisions are going to happen um, and that's that almost that they, you know, inevitable. Yeah. People are going to fall on one side and the other. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about, um, have you, Tom, you've read Live Not By Lies, haven't you, by Rod Dreher? I haven't, actually. No, no. no. Christine, do you know this book, Live Not By Lies? It's on my um, list. I think I've got it in my Kindle. Oh, really? 
yeah it's a really good it's a really good book and um i'm hoping that we'll we'll um we'll do sufficient um sycophantic notices um in in the way of Rod Rare that he'll come on this podcast eventually. It'd be cool, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. after, you know, after we've after we've um, sucked up enough to him, but um, but it's a really good book. And, so we've got, uh, so we've basically got Daniel doing that, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Sort of, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's 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 got all the connections. But um, one of the things, so it's about it's about. Um, it's about um, you know um, Soviet the Soviet Union basically and how the church how the church um, bore up under the persecution um, that was um, that that came upon it uh, during during that era. Um, but one of the things he, and he's sort of drawing on the wisdom from from the church and from the persecuted church in that era. But one of the one of the sort of motifs in the book is he talks about this thing that um, Christians were taught uh, around that time, which was this sort of mantra: see, judge, act see judge act and um i think that's i think that's a really helpful way of, of thinking about about things it's like it's like we've we've lost the ability to even think about uh, about interpretation of the events of our times it's like we just sort of like thomas saying we just sort of go along with it but see judge act is like you see something what's what's going on you know like i was thinking about this like what do i see well i see i see children being injected with a with a covid vaccine you know all right that's what i see okay so what what do i think about that you know what um is is that right is that wrong you know are there any sort of principles that i can bring to bear in this situation um you know so i'd say well it doesn't seem doesn't seem like uh, a very good thing to be doing to to inject children with a vaccine that they don't need uh, which may which may damage them um, and then, and so, and then you, you form a judgment, you know, and you might, you might form a judgment on the basis of scripture or the basis of Christian principles, whatever. And then you act, then you think, then you think to yourself, well, what should I do as a result of this? And this is like a, it's a basic kind of framework for um, Christian discipleship. Yes, but specifically Christian discipleship in the context of um, a, a culture, which, which is, you know, which is antithetical to, or which is hostile to, um, to uh, Christianity, to Christian church, and to Christian truth, and so on and so forth. Um, so I thought that was I thought that I was thinking that when I was reading this, and and my sort of I guess my sort of concluding thought is that I think we need to recover this ability to interpret the signs of the times and to see, judge, and act. Um, so that's a little reflection there. Yeah, I, mean, I sort of it's uh, it's interesting um, sort of to refer it to. Did we talk about a? Um... Jeremiah and the sort of uh, the prophets who cried peace, peace, but actually there wasn't peace. And and Jesus actually does the opposite. He says there won't be peace. Um, you know, there's a sort of realist sort of bent to this. Um, that that actually uh, the Christian creed is is deeply disruptive, not just to our lives of those of us who, or should be uh, who who follow it, but also um, one of the reasons I think that Soviets didn't like it and Germany authoritarian governments have, have disliked Christianity and even our own government, arguably, uh, s- sort of uh, um, is that it, it teaches reliance on 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 something beyond the self. You know, there's, there's it, well, um, well, it, it also it also dimin- it diminishes uh, fear of the government, doesn't it? Yeah, it's also an alternative focus of of uh, loyalty, isn't it? Mm, apart from yeah. the state, um, which is why, of course. Um, uh, authoritarian and totalitarian totalitarian governments don't like it uh, for sure um yes indeed right well i think we should come to christine a little bit more specifically because she's listened to an awful lot of waffle mainly coming from tom 
that possibly coming from me as well. Um, Christine, it's really good to have you on the show. And uh, we're, we're, we're very interested to hear what you've got to say. Now, you're obviously living in, in that, that place north of the wall, uh, Scotland, under the, uh, under the tyrannous dictatorship of, of uh, Nicola Sturgeon. Or, or what, do we, what do we call her? Is it like Kim Jong Sturge or something? Kim, uh, Kim what is it? Kim Sturge. Kim Sturge. I think it's Kim Sturge Un. I think that's it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, Christine. It just it would just be really interesting to hear your sort of your journey really over the last um, couple of years since this whole thing started. Um, sort of, do you want to do you want to just just talk us through? You know, what what's been your sort of experience of of this COVID situation so far, and 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 you know what what rabbit holes has it led you down, and and uh, just some of your thoughts, and we'll just take it from there. What an unspecific question. <laughs> um, well, it's really interesting, actually, what you were just saying there about what the See Judge Act, because I think what I've been waiting for is for lots of people in Scotland to see judge an act mm-hmm. for like 18 months now. So I'm ready for it to happen anytime. When I am um, at the very start of lockdown I actually was very very compliant and I thought you know we need to all just lock down and flatten the curve do whatever we got busy in the garden fixing our messy garden and I was actually sort of semi-content I would say Mm. but very concerned about the long-term implications of even shutting down society for a few weeks And I had a friend in a care home. I was very worried about him because he was on his own and confused and wasn't good. And yeah, then by like May 2020, when I realised that lockdowns are completely ineffective at doing what they're supposed to do, I just started to become unbelievably, I think righteously angry. Hmm. How did you you realise? The first thing, I think the first thread that was pulled for me was the Dominic Cummings Mm. thing, because I got really angry with him about going away to his family Mm. when he was sick. And I realised then that that wasn't maybe, I mean, I've done that. I've gone to my family when I've been sick to help get help with the kids. Yeah. I thought, why am I reacting like this? And I started looking into the data. Like I just went, I thought, I wonder, like, how many deaths have we had? from COVID in my area since this all started and when I looked it was I remember it was 147 in my region right how many how many people live in your region like (laughs) 500,000 and it was I'm not minimizing the fact that that number of people had died I mean you know I'm not I mean people die all the time and I knew that we'd had well, we hadn't really even had, we hadn't really had a COVID outbreak yet. And I just thought, what on earth are we doing? And how can we be doing this thing, which is so costly in so many ways, mm. when it doesn't even work? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I suppose I was seeing and I was judging. And then I started to act about September 2020 because I couldn't. Stand it, and I couldn't see how other people couldn't see 
that lockdown itself was going to cost a huge number of lives Mm. and destroying quality of life of everybody else as well as actually killing people. I couldn't see how everybody was so calm about that. It just all started to fall apart. Yeah. That was phase one. That's the first first part of the answer to your question. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so when did you sort of... um... When did you get involved with, you know, the Heart Group and Inform Scotland and start doing the podcast and stuff like that? Well, um, in, I think it was August or September 2020, Sylvia and I set up the Facebook page, Scottish mm. Corona Stories. Mm. And we started to just kind of reach out. We've, we talk about that in our first podcast episode, like why we did that and what we were aiming to do. And we... So we're sort of trying to form a community of people or just sh- make create a place where people could share their stories about how awful lockdown had been for them, basically. It was a mm. bit of a kind of misery page, I suppose. We were trying to provide support and we kind of we developed we built a wee community there and got to know some people. The podcast started in January 2021 because I felt really strongly that um it was kind of my impetus, but Sylvia was on board with it. I just felt like people needed to hear people's voices. Yeah. Because there was a lot on our Facebook page, not very often, but we sometimes got a bit of aggro. You know, people would share a terrible story and then some people weren't very, were really mean in the comments. So they would pick apart the story. There's always this drive to defend lockdown. I I really don't understand it. Mm. And I thought we need to get these people's voices out because it's really hard to listen to somebody for 45 minutes talking about how this experience has affected them and then criticise them. Yeah. I want people to stop doing that. The Inform Scotland page started because I was doing a daily stats uh, update on the Us For Them Scotland Facebook page. Mm. And I took over that from somebody else and I just started doing it daily. And people, it's really weird to say this because it was just a blog about statistics, but people really, really, really loved it. Mm, And we decided to make a website, you know, where I could put those daily um, so it wasn't on Facebook. And that was how Inform Scotland started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I know recently, Christine, you've been looking at things like all-cause mortality. And so the situation in Scotland at the moment, as far as I can tell, it's like basically you've got, as far as I can tell, like we've got this plan B thing here, right, which isn't happening and you know we hope won't happen. But it seems to me that our plan B is your plan A. And it's like you've, got, you've still got like masks everywhere. Have you it's, got vaccine passports? Go on, Tom. It strikes me that Scotland has sort of done have always gone one step further than England, haven't they? You know, and Wales have done the same thing, one step further. And and whether it's, I, I, you know, and I think looking at, I've been looking through your uh, your data updates, um, Christine, and it looks like it, it hasn't really worked to suppress the virus any further. In fact, it looks like Scotland are doing worse sort of per capita than England. Is, is that right? Is that fair? Yes. We have had, we're now, I think, I haven't looked at the stats the last couple of days because I'm in holiday in the free land that is England. Yes, welcome. Entering our sixth wave. Right. Sixth wave. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. That's a lot of waves. Sorry, and they're becoming bigger and bigger every time as well. 
Um, the last wave has been really severe in terms of positivity coming back. So, you know, it's not just that we're doing loads and loads of testing. There's lots and lots of virus around. Um, yeah, none of it works. I mean, I've, we've known that since April 2020. None of the things that we're doing work. Yeah. And yeah. the vaccine seems to only have made things worse, frankly. So what, what can you tell from the stats about what the vaccine is doing as far as, as your concerns, Christine? Well, we, if people go onto the website, they'll be able to see this. It's usually the first graph I put up on the daily blog. So we were coming out of our autumn winter wave at the end of December. Our cases were going down and our positivity was going down. And then we started vaccinating people in care homes the beginning of January. Mm. And then cases went through the roof. But should have been no surprise to anybody because it was exactly what we'd seen in the Middle East, you know, in Israel and UAE and Egypt. I think they all started vaccinating quite early. And as soon as you vaccinate, basically everywhere, cases go through the roof. Yeah. And deaths go up as well, COVID deaths. So we saw that happening immediately in Scotland and started trying to draw people's attention to it and nobody cared. It was just like, no, the vaccine's the answer. The vaccine's the answer. The vaccine's the answer. Mm. Um, yeah. So, 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 the, so the suggestion then is, um, I guess there are two hypotheses that you could, you could take from that. Either having been vaccinated, people have got careless and are catching it in higher numbers, or um, the vaccine itself is is having an impact, and I think there's been some studies showing that the vaccine actually possibly makes you more likely to catch and pass on COVID. Is that right? Well, in the Pfizer trial, which was available for our government to read from like October last year, I think you can see that vaccinated people in the trial were more likely to catch COVID than the unvaccinated people were. Yep. We're 42% more likely, I think, in the Pfizer trial. I'm not sure about the other ones. Um, and so, like, I thought it was really, really strange when the government was surprised that cases were going up after they started vaccinating because it was there in the trial. And I think there's two possibilities. I don't think people's behaviour changes after vaccination in a significant way. I don't. I'm not sure I accept that, but I don't think that can be a uniform effect across the world. Mm -hmm. But there's possible that there's some immunosuppression after vaccination, but there's all, it's also the possibility that because of how the vaccine works, it gives you a COVID-like illness. And that it might be that for some reason, people who've just been vaccinated will test positive for COVID as well. Like the tests we understand are only, sometimes they're just using a single gene where they used to use three. So the test would test for three separate genes. And if it found all three, it would say, well, that's a positive. And they, now, they've dropped that. Now they seem to be using sometimes a single gene. Now, if the single gene is the spike protein gene and you've just vaccinated people, this isn't a vaccine. It's a gene therapy and it makes your own cells express the spike protein. So if the test picking up spike protein and then saying, well, that's a positive, and then somebody, because they're making the spike protein, is um, developing COVID-like symptoms. Yeah. 
then there's your COVID case. I don't know, no, I don't think anybody knows if that's what's happening, but it's yeah. an undeniable effect that we're seeing over and over and over again every time you roll out vaccination to new groups. The, the, other, the other thing I've seen is this idea of the original antigenic sin, which interested mm-hmm. me because obviously you've got original sin in Christianity. Uh, and Judaism and and I believe that's the idea that that the first time your body encounters a virus if it encounters a vaccine rather than the virus it produces certain antibodies the next time it encounters the virus it uses just those antibodies it doesn't bother going back to square one and and working out how to defeat the the um the, the virus now of course the problem is that you get a smaller selection of the virus you only get the spike protein as I understand it in the in, in the vaccines they're using in the UK. Uh, and so your body only has uh, antibodies against that. And so it's actually not as good at fighting off the full COVID as someone who's had COVID and their body has responded in a sort of holistic way to the to the entirety of the virus. Is that, is that, is that, is that correct? Am I right? Is that roughly what it is, isn't it? I think so. You've explained it better than I could have. <laughs> well done, Tom. Um, so that's this combination possibly of all these all these things maybe is happening to boost uh, numbers after vaccination of, of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this this really for me, um, I mean, if we put aside the the ethics of vaccination and the way these vaccines were created, which um, I think all our listeners know where we stand. Um, really, for me, it's the, the folly is the government going beyond what they originally said they were going to do. And just vaccinating those who, because we, I think, I think it's fair to say the vaccine seems to protect quite well against death and really serious disease in those who, um, I mean, you, you can disagree with me, but it seems to do that reasonably well, so they claim. Uh, and so just vaccinating those who are at serious risk and then letting everyone else get a natural immunity would seem to be the sensible thing to do. I don't know, is that... <laughs> Well, I don't think it does protect people from serious illness for very long. Okay. For a start. Um, sorry. Um, I'm having technical difficulties, which is called my husband. It's okay. Don't, um, worry, don't worry. We 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 might not have the tech, but we've got the content. Go on, Chris. Um, yeah. What was the so, I mean, my question is, you know, are, are we seeing that the because we've heard a lot about the vaccine effectiveness against um, catching the disease and passing the disease on declining. Do you think you, you think you're just saying you think it's actually declining in terms of its protection as well? I don't think it, there's not much evidence that it provides in much protection at all. If you look at hospitalization data for vaccinated versus unvaccinated. But I think, I mean, leaving a just thinking more about thinking about the see judge act Mm. thing again what i have found really really troubling about this both from our government and society at large is that we have brought in this gene therapy technology as a solution to covid19 now i want a solution to covid19 as well and i would be absolutely delighted if these gene therapies were the solution what I find astonishing is that, like I'm saying, the trial data showed that people were more likely to get COVID who'd been vaccinated compared to unvaccinated. Now, someone did a freedom of information request and found out that the MHRA hadn't read the trial data, which explains why 
they approved the vaccine then because it didn't look like it worked very well in the trials. But having approved an experimental gene therapy in a way, and rolling out a vaccine in a way that we have never, ever done before, you then see COVID cases going up. You've seen it in other countries that have rolled out the vaccine. And what's the response? Yeah. Ignore. More vaccine. Yeah. Ignore. Every time we're ignoring all these signals that are coming at us all the time. We're just yeah. blindly bashing on. And I blame the government for this, but I blame society as well, because we all as individuals have a responsibility to keep an eye on this stuff. Yeah. So, so Christine, um, just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm finding this really, really interesting listening to you. And to be honest, I wonder whether I sort of represent more your, your average listener, maybe to this podcast, because I, I'm not really like as up to, as up to, um, not up to date, but I don't really understand the, the scientific and statistical stuff as well as, as say Tom does. Uh, I guess my question to you, so, so a couple of things, right? So I've read a bit about the, the trials, you know, Sebastian Rushworth's book, and I've also read a bit by um, Joseph Mercola about it. And what I was reading in there is that the, um, the trials demonstrated that um, the vaccinated group relative to the unva- unvaccinated group um, came up with fewer positive tests by some quite substantial margin, like, you know, 60, 80 percent, depending on which vaccine it, it was. But you're, you're saying that you're saying that the vaccine made it more likely that people would get infected. So, yes. so, so I've got I've got another question as well. But, but can you just say something about that? Because that sort of doesn't tally with what I've read in, you know, in sceptical or reasonably sceptical sources. Well, all my understanding is that the AstraZeneca was similar. But in the Pfizer trial, it was something in the vaccinated arm, I think it was 407 people got COVID within two weeks of vaccination compared to 287 in the unvaccinated arm of the trial. And that is a significant difference. If you do a statistical, I think we did a P-test on it and we found that the result was that that the the outcome of that was that that was a highly significant difference. Um, But it's a 42% difference. Mm. Now, I mean, Pfizer have done a lot of naughty things with their trial, but it seems like they've sabotaged their own trial to some extent. But my point is just as a, I'm a, I'm a lay person when it comes to this stuff. I only know what I know through what I've read as a lay person, but also, you know, in the company of the people that I've been associating with in the last 18 months. But just you, anybody can do this. You go and look up the Pfizer, it was the, the document they submitted to the FDA. I think it's page 32. Mm-hmm. You can see what the results were post-vaccination. And the, the result was that more people got COVID who had been vaccinated than who were unvaccinated. Right. But, I mean, the thing is about this, it's not, it's not a vaccine, but the other, the significant thing about this vaccine, I think, which is very different to any other vaccine that I've ever been aware of, is where they've said, well, it's not really to prevent infection, it's to prevent you getting really ill, it's to prevent severe illness. Right. So maybe you don't mind if more people get infected with it, if they're not going to get as ill. But even as a layperson last year, 
I was like, but what does less ill mean? Mm. How do you even, how do you like quantify how ill somebody is? But also I was aware back then, and I'm acutely aware of it now, there are some nasty things in this virus. It's a gene- it's an engineered virus. Right. So there are nasty things in it. You don't want to get infected with this. Right. You don't. So I couldn't understand why you would want to vaccinate people in inverted commas with something that was still going to allow them to be infected with this virus that we don't really understand very well. Yeah. So there might be it might be that there are going to be long term health effects. I don't I'm not meaning to be frightening, but there could be long term health effects from infection with this virus Mm. because of the way it's been engineered. And so this vaccine doesn't prevent you from it doesn't protect you from that because you're still going to get infected. You won't get as many symptoms, but that might make you an asymptomatic spreader risk. Mm-hmm. That might explain why so many people are catching COVID after you roll out vaccines because the vaccinated become effectively super spreaders. Yeah. Because they're not sick. They don't know they're infected, but they are infected and they're going out into society and spreading it around. Yeah. I mean, that thing you say about not being able to quantify sickness, I think this is one of the, 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 it's almost Kafkaesque the way people are talking about this vaccine because uh, I saw a friend on social media recently, for example, who was saying he's in the fourth day of his COVID infection and he's really, really unwell. But thank goodness he had the vaccine because it would have been worse. It's just, it's just um, you know, I, I think it is. I think it is Kafkaesque. It's, it's like no matter what, um, no matter what level of illness. I mean, presumably death would be. You couldn't claim this if somebody died. Um, but but short of that, you could always say, well, this would be worse um, if I didn't have the vaccine. So it's a kind of I mean, we've talked about this on the show before about pseudoscience. And you know, one of the one of I think it's Karl Popper's definition of pseudoscience being something that's not falsifiable. So it's a it's a pseudoscientific claim if you can't falsify it. And it's it, this is literally unfalsifiable, right? Because you can't you can't you can't well, how, um, falsify how, it in that way. Argue with that. You can't say to somebody, we, "We'll never know." It's, it's been I, the same. I caught COVID, and I was not very ill with it at all. I, yeah. and I'm not vaccinated. So, Matt, from my point of view, I'm thinking, "Thank goodness I was. I've not been vaccinated because I think the vaccine itself is dangerous mm. and has long-term health effects, which we can't know." And I didn't get very ill with COVID. So for me, I can, and, and a vaccinated person who thinks, well, thank goodness I've been vaccinated, they can't prove that I'm wrong about that either. Yeah. Because I don't know how ill I would have got if I'd been vaccinated. It's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those problems with all of the science around COVID, though, isn't it? You know, lockdowns, uh, you get people saying, well, if it wasn't for the lockdown, it'd be a lot worse. And, you know, ignoring all the counter arguments or saying, you know, you know, special cases for Sweden or Florida or whatever, uh, and and in the end, it's unfalsifiable, unfalsifiable, un- unfalsifiable. Face masks as well, you know, uh, they work. Um, and then you know, so that you know, you assume that, and then once you've assumed that, uh, they must work because otherwise, obviously, you'd have had an, an enormous outbreak. Um, it's, you know, there's a recent document that David Livermore was uh, dissecting, uh, the professor of um, sociology, which basically said that, um, you know, we know that it's, a, it's purported to be a scientific response to a number of recent uh, face mask studies, which none of which are 
particularly um, good because they're not random control t- uh, randomized control trials anyway. But um, basically, it starts by assuming that which it which it finishes with, which is that face masks are effective. So therefore, we need to suggest face masks, and uh, yeah. uh, it it just keeps going. You can't argue against it because because yeah. there's no there's no argument to be had. So it's not science. It's not it's not a, it's not and nor is it even you know. Um, yeah. it's, it's not really well, communication. <laughs> well, you're in the realm of belief. It's like yeah. I believe this vaccine works. So whatever I see happen, the answer is going to be well, it's because the vaccine worked. And, it, and that's like you're into the, this is why I think that COVID is really becoming, and everything related to COVID is becoming a pseudo religion. Yeah. Because mm. I can't have an argument with a non-believer in God. And um, will and prove to them that God exists. That's the, you're into the realm of belief there. And it's the same with COVID stuff. You you just go round and round in circles with people who, and to believe in the COVID religion is a choice. People have to have chosen it. Um, yeah. And you just can't argue against it. I heard, um, just yesterday but somebody who an elderly lady who's got covid and she's gone to hospital with heart problems she's fit as a fiddle normally and they're like oh but you know she just had her booster so thank goodness she'd had that because otherwise it would have been much worse yeah. and it's like but, but i'm hearing this and i'm thinking it sounds like a vaccine reaction the lady's having yeah yeah just to uh, just to stick up, Christine, for uh, for natural theology. I don't know how you're going to feel about this, Tom, but I actually think you can demonstrate the existence of God with philosophical arguments and uh, using using reason. So um, I do I do absolutely agree with what you say, Christine. I think it's um, I think it's uh, it's the the I guess the phrase I would use use for it is a kind of irrational dogmatism or a kind of superstition. Yeah. You know, because um, the true the true religion, Christianity, is entirely reasonable because it happens to be the truth. Um, but but this this religion is a false religion. So so it's it's not it's not surprising to me that it has um, sub rational or even irrational elements to it. And uh, this this one, as far as I understand it, I mean, it, it just it does seem to be. I mean, to be honest with you, the thing that well, I, I say the thing that disturbs me the most, but it's actually quite hard to say things like that. But but one of the one of the things that disturbs me the most is the way that, as Tom was saying earlier, we were told initially, I mean, in no uncertain terms by um, everybody's best friend, Matt Hancock, that the um, it was only going to be the elderly who were going to be vaccinated. Now we're now we're starting. I mean, obviously, now we've had the rollout for 12 to 15 year olds. And, and now we're having um, rumblings about. Uh, five to eleven-year-olds being being vaccinated with these it's in America at the, uh, at the moment, but in yeah. America, but it may may come here too. Yeah. So my my thought is, why do we need to vaccinate five-year-olds now or twelve-year-olds, whatever? Because we know that they're not a risk from the virus, and it does seem to be some kind of um, I don't know, some kind of uh, power ideology force however you want to say it it's, pa- it's panic it's, pa- it's panic jamie it's just sheer panic that the, what they thought had finished this was you know do you not remember this time last year you know the vaccine was coming over the hill the sound of the trumpet 
bringing the vaccine cavalry, according to Boris Johnson, uh, you know, and then we were going to start vaccinating very soon. And uh, that would be the end of it. You know, we get the vulnerable done and then that's the end of it. What happened was things got worse. Things got worse. And so they started panicking at that point. So they just sort of, rather than just sort of vaccinating the vulnerable, which was the original kind of plan A, they then started vaccinating everyone over the age of 60. And then it was everyone, you know, kept going down and down and down. Didn't get any better. The, the epidemic sorted itself out naturally as they always do. Um, because we know this because Sweden, which didn't impose any more restrictions, followed pretty much exactly the same curve as we did uh, right the way down. And then Delta came along and infected, infected a different subset of people, was marginally more infectious. It outcompeted. Um, Tom, don't you say that there's a sort of sense of inevitability? About I mean, well, yeah, from, yeah, from yeah, the there very, is. From the very beginning, with even before the vaccine was developed, it was always the, the narrative was always that the vaccine is going to be the only way out of this. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's clearly so they're the panicking. Other things that could have been done. They're and, panicking um, and they believe, they believe what they said. And this is more of the same. So now it's, you know, it's going to be a third shot. And that's now, you know, now you've got clamour to increase that down to children from some of the sage scientists. You're thinking they need their presumably they need their second shot and you know and they're going to ignore all that jcvi um uh about um stuff the joint committee for the vaccination people you know they said they should only have one shot because um because of the risk to heart and things like that because they don't care about any of that um they just they're just panicking endlessly and uh they've talked themselves into a maze where there's no way out because um either they vaccinate and out or they have to put restrictions back in um, or they just, but, or they just admit that this whole thing. Oh yeah, but that's that's the problem, is it? They can't do that because they're invested in the narrative. Their whole, because that would be in the end doing that would be, would be disastrous because they'd have to sit back and say, well, do you know what? Uh, all of this pain that we put you through is completely unnecessary. We should have just done what we originally were going to do, and r- ridden out the first wave, and you know, stayed stum. Yeah, but um, I think I think what Christine is suggesting is is correct. Is that it's taken on, it's taken on a kind of existential. It, aspect now where it's actually a religious narrative uh, in the in the worst in the worst way insofar as it's a narrative which is unquestionable and it has it has a it has a savior that you're not allowed to criticize you're not allowed to question because it's it's essentially a kind of um blasphemy or, or heresy to suggest that the vaccine might be doing the things that it's doing um uh, Christine, I've got a question for you. Um, you probably haven't seen this, but um, quite a, a well-known um, uh, preacher in the US, John Piper, recently wrote a blog, which I'll put in the show notes for everyone. And in fact, I'll just transfer it to the Google document for us if, if, if you're interested to look at it. But he he wrote a blog called A Reason to be Vaccinated, which I was quite surprised about because he hasn't been particularly positive about the vaccine, uh, mainly, I think, because of the um, issues around the uh, the development with aborted fetal tissue but basically he is a it's, a it's quite a nuanced article because he's saying like even if you are conservative you should still consider having the vaccine um because uh, it's the right thing to do etc but 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 there's there's a section of it where he quotes uh five outlets five american news outlets um one of which is fox 43 which i assume is um uh, some kind something to do with fox news which is obviously conservative um but basically he is he is um concluding as a result of these uh of this um of this uh investigation into what these journalists are saying that this is a pandemic of the uh vaccination so uh sorry a pandemic of the unvaccinated 
which is something that Joe Biden keeps on saying. So from the Associated Press, nearly all COVID-19 deaths in the US are now in people who weren't vaccinated. From May 2021, infections in fully vaccinated people accounted for fewer than 1,200 of more than 107,000 COVID-19 hospitalizations. That's about 1.1%. And only about 150 of the more than 18,000 COVID deaths in May were in fully vaccinated people, uh, which translates to 0.8%. And I know, I know we've, I know, and so on and so so forth. And I know we've heard um, similar things in this country as well about how the the unvaccinated are now the ones that are contracting this virus and spreading it. Um, do you? I mean, what's what's your take on this? It is, and it is very important because because the science here that that Piper now believes is informing his his theological view and his pastoral advice to people. So this is this is highly relevant um, to the subject matter of this show. Um, so, Christine, what's your what's your response to this? Well, I don't know the figures from the states yeah. particularly well. I do from time to time familiarise myself with them. I just don't believe those numbers are true right. at all. Okay. In Scotland, I think... I think the last public health Scotland data showed that about 80% of hospitalised people were vaccinated, which is, you know, a similar split mm. to the general population of vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Um, and the other question, see, even just taking it at face value, let's say, what do you say, 1%? of the organizations were vaccinated yeah 1.1 percent yeah so how come then because in the states well let's say let's say that was true in the uk we have just had this summer like 20 times as many people in hospital with covid as we had last summer right and i've got graphs showing that on the informed scotland blog and Sometimes, you know, on Facebook things, you see people are like, it's because of the unvaccinated, it's all the unvaccinated. The BBC keeps churning out this garbage stuff from ITU consultants, apparently saying that everybody in ITU with COVID is unvaccinated, which does not match up with Public Health Scotland data, which you would think the BBC would pull the ITU consultant up on. But anyway, Mm. why? Why now are so many unvaccinated people getting so ill with COVID when they weren't getting that ill with COVID when everyone was unvaccinated. Right. And that brings you into the realm of the question of ADE, for example. Is this vaccine, is it ADE, or is it allowing selection of more virulent variants? Could you just, um, could you just say what ADE is, Christine? So that's antibody-dependent enhancement. And I don't... I'm not an immunologist. I don't know a great deal about it, but I know that some vaccines can make some viruses worse. And that happened, I think, with the swine flu vaccine. It actually made swine flu worse in those who were vaccinated Mm -hmm. in some cases. But um, my point is, why now in Scotland then do we have such a problem with COVID in hospitals when we have so many vaccinated people and last year, when everyone was unvaccinated, we didn't have that problem. Whichever way people who are like really pushing this vaccine, whichever way they 
present their argument it doesn't make sense i guess i guess to be to be devil's advocate um so to speak like you might say that um the delta variant being so much that's probably what they would say being so much more transmissible which is um i i don't actually necessarily hold uh because it's it's a bit more complicated than that um they might say that it's it's affecting more people um because it's more um, transmissible. That's what I'm saying. The Delta variant only appeared once we started vaccinating people. Mm. And it appeared everywhere where the vaccine was rolled out. Is so, it like I am um, Geert van den Bosch or was it, uh, what's the other yeah. guy's name? The Americans, the American uh, physician who's got the high voice and speaks really quickly. Um, Jim McConnell? He, yeah, that's him. Yeah. He can, he's sort of quoting papers left and right from memory. It's very impressive. Oh. But he, um, one of those was saying that, um, it was because the uh, the virus was um, the virus mu- mutating into a more virulent and transmissible mm-hmm. form as a result of as a result of mass vaccination, and that's what the because, Delta variant actually is. Because this isn't a vaccine, and it doesn't sterilize the virus, yeah, and it allows people to still become infected. What you're just doing is you're just putting up another barrier for the virus rather than a complete sort of shielding wall and so what happens is you're selecting for variants of the virus that can get through the vaccine barrier yeah, yeah. well i mean so i think yeah that's why right. you mustn't vaccinate during an epidemic we don't do that we've you don't do that for like flu for example you give people the flu vaccine before flu comes along because if you start to vaccinate people once flu's already there it's not going to work doesn't all you're going to do is make the situation worse yes there's, there's... Yeah, i thought of a metaphor for this can i just share this tom because this is something i i, I came up with myself and i was quite pleased oh. about it oh. it's like if you had a medieval city and it's got a really bad wall and you know you're going to be attacked at some point you don't you repair the wall you break down the old wall and repair it and build a really good one when you're not being attacked you don't you don't break the wall down just as you're about to be being no. it, attacked or while the attack is in place which 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 is my way of understanding what you've just said christine which i which i heard before is that like when you give somebody a vaccine in the middle of an epidemic you take away their immunity for a time and you make make them more susceptible to infection whereas if you had given it to them prior to the violent virus being prevalent uh, they would have had time to develop the immunity and then when it came along then they would have been defended from it is that roughly that's a good metaphor yeah or analogy i think cool. i'm quite pleased with that i was quite i was quite, I was quite mm-hmm. good. the question is whether it's the 17th century or 14th century city wall uh jamie probably, um, 14th, century. probably 14th century yeah um the, as an age of backwardness as superstition as we know tom <laughs> so um the i was just gonna i was gonna plug a blog which i read quite regularly by a chap called um philip lemoyne who's a french uh, philosopher and mathematician and he writes um, really well, really good. He, he writes for the CSPI, uh, which, um, uh, and he writes for a, uh, a he writes a blog called War, of, War on Science, but he has his own uh, blog as well. Um, and he's done some really good papers, um, sort of, uh, he calls his blog Neck Pluribus Impar. But he doesn't, he, anyway, um, he, he writes, he wrote a really interesting blog post where he does some uh, mathematical modeling around the transmissibility virus of the uh, uh, impact of different um, variants, um, the Delta particularly. And effectively, he, he, he very um, 
conclusively demonstrates that 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 the transmissibility uh, advantage of all the new variants is only uh, at the very beginning of the time that they're there. And indeed, you can see this quite easily when you look at um, Public Health England um, secondary attack rates (SAR) uh, data, where it shows that all of these start off with a big hit. And they seem to seem to, but then they very quickly decline back to where they were. And it's the argument is really that it's not so much about the virus being that much more transmissible, but that it hits a different subset of the population each time. Um, and it's quite possible that we've we've got a got a variant here which is hitting maybe a vaccinated subset, you know, um, and that's what's causing all of this uh, um, problem. I, I know um, until Zoe, the King College app uh, run by Tim Spector, until they change their um, methodology quite conveniently in july they were showing an epidemic picking up in the vaccinated subjects and dropping off in the unvaccinated subjects uh quite rapidly and um, at the same yeah. time which is quite interesting it didn't seem to square with any of the claims so you know I, there's all sorts of questions we don't really know the answers here but certainly i think one hopes that these questions are being asked and, we, and one suspects they're not uh at level yeah at, at government levels before they push all this stuff out and I really suspect they're not but that's the point isn't it and that's why like why I asked to come on the podcast as I did in the last week or so because uh, Christine you know, I invited you to come on the podcast yeah, <laughs> I did after did. our last after our last conversation which, uh, which was which was highly but, entertaining this is, this is a moment where I kind of I want to speak because I'm so concerned about what's happening with excess death in Scotland, which mm-hmm. is matched in England. But this is the point, you know, they, they bring out a vaccine. And as I've said, we know from the trials that we should have expected an increase in COVID infections after we vaccinated. And we saw that and no action was taken. You just bash them on. And then there was a lot of worry about, you know, like Gert van den Bosch, for example, real experts, Robert Malone, one of the inventors of mRNA technology. All these people came out and said, you know, there's some concerns that we might um, select for worse variants. What happens after we see that potentially that's what's happening when, you know, like in Scotland now we're having our, our fifth wave, our fifth wave was the worst wave ever in terms of number of cases, mm. nobody's taking any action on it. And then when I was really concerned in January and was speaking to people about it, I was scared, concerned about the adverse reactions from these vaccines. I was told, well, if we see lots of adverse reactions, it'll come through in the hospitalization data. Well, it has. We've got lots of people in hospital with strokes and heart attacks and things like that. And still no actions taken. And now finally, we're in a situation in Scotland where we are on 21, the data will be updated tomorrow, but they will be, we've been on 21 consecutive weeks of excess death. Yeah. Week 40 in Scotland was the worst week 40 on record for death, both in absolute numbers and mortality rate. And still nobody is reacting. It's this see, judge, act thing again. We can see it. Nobody chooses to judge it. And the few people who are judging it and trying to act are stopped every single step of the way. Well, I think think that's part of the problem. The other problem is that the people who are actually in a position to act seem to believe that they're... The, the, the solutions they have are going to do anything and, and they're not they're, they're turning from one unscientific solution to another aren't they 
Um, is it, isn't it even worse than that, though? Isn't it the solutions than this, themselves that appear? If there is any kind of positive correlation, surely it's between the solutions and their implementation and and the amount of deaths there are. Hmm. I mean, is that is that is that what you're th- is that what you're implying, Christine? Are you saying that you think that whatever the Scottish government, the measures the Scottish government are taking, including presumably vaccination, are actually making the situation worse in terms of deaths? But instead of of looking at this, they're actually just doubling down on it. Yeah. Yeah. Because any any idiot could tell a year ago, a year and a half ago, that lockdown was going to cause a lot of deaths. Right. And now we're seeing a lot of deaths. And we knew lockdown deaths would maybe take a while to manifest themselves. So there's all these poor people in care homes who didn't get any medical attention. They all died you know, last year because they weren't getting medical attention. But we've got all these people now who've been denied medical care for a year and a half and they're starting to die. And you can see it in the data. And what are we still doing? We're still talking about locking down. Mm. The vaccine is out. People have real concerns about the safety of these vaccines. We've got horrendous reports in the yellow card scheme. I know of lots of people who have got funny health things following vaccination. I've known people who've died post-vaccination. Mm. I know an awful lot more trouble from the vaccine than from COVID. And still we bash on. It, like, why, why are people not more concerned about these horrendous excess tests we're seeing in Scotland? We're at week 40, we were 30% over the five-year average, which is really, really significant for this time of year like never seen before Mm. and what like my uh, spiritually I just find it completely impossible to comprehend that we've gone to all these enormous lengths apparently to save lives everybody in Scotland's wearing masks everywhere they go and everybody's testing 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 and people aren't touching one another and they're not gathering in big groups and with vaccine passports and all this and it's all for everyone's safety it's because we're trying to save lives and we're all very concerned about safety but then we don't care that we have an enormous excess death coming into winter mm. i mean there's no reason to believe that it's going to get any better over the next few weeks we yeah. could be looking at like one of our worst winters ever for mortality i hope that that's not the case but it looks like it's going to be and nobody cares I don't understand, I mean, I know that lots of people do care, but the government isn't even remotely concerned about it, apparently. I'm not saying, hang on a minute, maybe what we're doing isn't such a great idea. Yeah. I- so, I mean, Christine, uh, you know, Tom and I have talked about this kind of thing quite quite a bit in terms of, you know, how, how one sort of explains or comes to some kind of un- understanding of this situation. Um, it's, it's, it's very complicated, whatever the explanation is. I mean, we were just talking, weren't we, about the kind of quasi-religious um, um, narrative that sort of is propping this whole thing up. And then, then I suppose one of the one of the explanatory factors is this this idea of the sunk cost fallacy, which I think is very powerful, isn't it? That um, and just hear, hear me out here to the end. But we we know what the sunk cost fallacy is that that, um, you know, once you've invested in something to the extent that, you know, your reputation is bound up in it or that you've you've sacrificed a significant amount in order to um, to propose it or to to um, to back it up or whatever, 
it's hard then to turn around and say, actually, this isn't working and this has been a waste of time, a waste of money, or it's killed people or whatever. So it's very hard. It's very hard to actually turn around. And the, and the, and the further you go into it, the harder it gets. Um, now, I know, I know there are lots of people who, would, who think that um, this is kind of a sufficient psychological explanation for, for this whole thing, right? So we've, we've, we've made a really bad mistake uh, you know, the lockdown has been a terrible mistake. You know, masks clearly don't work and are ineffective and probably bad for people's health. I think they most certainly are. Um, and uh, various other measures, social distancing is, is a waste of time. Um, and the, the vaccines, um, we don't really understand what they're doing, but they're, they're all these kind of adverse reactions and, and, and deaths and so on. Um, but we've told everyone that these are the these are the answers and we can't we can't go back on this now because too much is at stake. Too many reputations, um, too many um, too many financial um, incentives, and so on and so forth. I mean, I guess my question to you is, what do you think about that? Do you think that's a do you think that's a good explanation for what's going on, or do you think you know there's something you know there's more than that, or what are your thoughts? Well, I think it is an explanation, and I think it probably is plausible, but I don't think it's a good explanation. Right. And I, I suppose that's what, I mean, I saw, like, June last year, June 2020, that really the government should have known by mid-April that lockdown wasn't making any difference. Yeah. And, you know, you would have thought at that point, if you think, oh, sugar yeah we have gone down the wrong path here we shouldn't have done this and at that point to me it would have been incredibly easy for them to say look we've locked down for three weeks and it looks like in the data from around the world it's not working right it doesn't make any difference it seems like it should make a difference it's intuitive but it doesn't so we're going to stop doing it now because this is an enormous cost what we're doing now lockdown has enormous costs yeah just on every level, spiritual, financial. Yep, psychological, emotional. psychological, just on every level. It's a massive intervention. Yeah. It's something that the government has no business doing, telling its people how far they can go, you know, when they can go, who they can touch, that they can't see their own family members. The governments never have any business telling people that. Yeah. But, you know, you know, yeah. the, the, um, the, the, the piece of propaganda, which I think is most significant in all of this is comparing this to a war, because um, after every single war in modern history, the state has expanded in this country. I mean, I'm sure it's true in other in other countries as well, because yeah. emergency powers are granted to the state and then the state doesn't give them back. And it's just it just it's just what happens. Right. The other thing that happens is you get a government of national unity. So so there's no opposition to the government. So using that metaphor, um, it, it, it guaranteed that the government would get the power that it needed and, and, and you know, by, by implication that, that some of that power at least would remain. And it also guaranteed that there would be no opposition. And, and that's the situation we find ourselves in in England and Scotland, as, as, as far as I'm aware, is that we now have a government which is which is much, much more powerful than it was at this stage two years ago, and that has an absolutely um, 
um, castrated opposition. I mean, there, there is no opposition. So uh, for our email of the week, I'll read it out in a few minutes, but 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 point out the last week the um, the Coronavirus Act was renewed um, and there was there was not even a vote in this is in England and there was no there was no vote in Parliament on it. There, you know, it's it, it, these are the most significant powers that have been granted to a government probably since the Second World War. And there was no there was no um, there was no vote for their extension. So so one of the one of my answers to my own question is that, yes, clearly there is a sense in which there's a lot at stake in terms of reputations being damaged. But there's also a lot in stake in terms of what's to be gained as well. And, you know, it's 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 power and for other other um, interested parties, it's, it's money. I mean, the ph- pharmaceutical companies obviously are the main the main um the main culprit here but but power the only ones i mean you know all those ppe suppliers the uh we have today we had the um the the test and trace being slated for for not really doing anything that's 37 37, billion 37 billion they were they were employing consultants on a thousand pounds a day i do that a thousand pounds a day i mean how hard can it be to make an app well it's quite hard but um (laughs) i've learned Track and trace has always just been an absolute joke of an idea, frankly, and it was implemented really, really poorly. But what you're saying, Jamie, about the, you know, all these structures have been developed in the last 18 months, either by accident or by design. But we've had these, this system of government, which is a new system of government since March 2020, has been in place now too long mm. and all these structures have organically grown and you just can't get rid of them once they're there and this is another example of something that people should have had the foresight to see when I saw <laughs> people last summer you know are you not a bit worried that the government's just never going to give any of this power back and people are like no of course they will of course they will no it's just it's just to keep us all safe it's just until we've got the virus under control it's just until we've had the vaccine the thing is now it's too late you've got all these structures in place and they are going nowhere yeah and that- now our MPs are so complacent about it they can't even yeah. be bothered having a conversation in parliament on our behalf uh it's <laughs> And and the whole you know things like test and trace. I mean, are they really going to wind it down ever, or is it just they're, they're going to expand it? Aren't they? It's going to become flu test and trace as well. Why not include? Why don't? Why not add all the other diseases that we suffer from? You know, norovirus, flu. You know, that's but what I've, next. I've always said that as well. None of this. We've got a virus in our midst. Okay, as I said, it's engineered, and we don't know what the long-term health effects of it might be. But why would you not do this for flu? Why would you not do it for other coronaviruses? Coronavirus OC43, I've been told by a doctor, I think that that was the virus that's suspected to have been Russian flu, which caused a lot of trouble in Europe Mm -hmm. in the 1800s. It has a mortality rate of up to 30% in some groups it infects. So why are we not tracing for OC43? Why would you not trace for norovirus? Because norovirus is really serious and kills yeah. lots of people. It infects. It doesn't make any sense to shut it down now. No, well, I mean, except for the the. I mean, but the problem is if you if you say this, you you go right right the way back, sort of eight months ago, and have, they'd have to say it then. Which is, you know, now that we've done all that we can, and if you wish to take this vaccine, if you're vulnerable, and other than that, you know, 
we'd, we wouldn't advise it. Uh, we're going back to normal, which is what was claimed. You know, that was what was... Do you remember Matt Hancock crying freedom at the barriers <laughs> uh, or not? That was, um, in, you that know. was in the Spectator in January, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it's just... Um, governments don't like giving up power and they'll use it for the climate now. You know, you can see that coming. They've already talked about it. Lindsay Hoyle has, has, has suggested it. Yeah. Uh, the Speaker of the House of Commons. Um, you know, and why not? Although, ironically, as far as I can see, um, uh, carbon emissions continue to increase despite the fact that humanity's carbon emissions dropped radically. But anyway, that uh, was the latest report today. Yeah, um, interesting, isn't it? It's almost it like there's not a correlation between the two. Um, Tom, it would certainly I, be evidence. Uh, I, you, sorry, sorry, no, you, you carry on. No, I, I, was, I was also going to say, I don't know, because I'm, as you know, uh, I'm the Toby Young of this podcast, you know, um, with more hair <laughs> and more charisma. And um, <laughs> more charisma, what, than Toby Young? Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, than you, definitely, but Toby Young. Uh, and <laughs> bold claim, Tom. Um, From both and, and uh, and I, and I do incline towards cock up rather than conspiracy, and and I I don't think you know I don't think I, I think being cynical about one's government is almost is almost a a, a sort of duty of of, uh, of of sort of subjects or civili- or um, you know civilians because it is really important that everyone is because because I think that hubris, uh, avarice, uh, and gluttony uh, really. Uh, are all you need to explain this. You, you don't need much, much else. You know, you, well, you that's, that's not, sorry, Tom, to drop, but it's not really that cock up conspiracy theory doesn't really um, do it then, does it? Because it's not, you're not really saying it's a cock up. You're saying it's, you're saying it's a, a reflex of sinful humanity, which isn't really a yeah. cock up, is it? It's, it's something which, all right, it might be happening on, it might be happening on a subconscious level, but it's still a, it's still a manifestation of human sin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's not really it's a, not, or a conspiracy. It's neither. It's neither. It's just it's just a sinful state that we're in. Uh, but you're then really, I mean, you're not really like Toby Young at all. Sorry, what, Karen. <laughs> what did you say? I said to Tom, he's not really like Toby Young at all. But he's an atheist, isn't he? So I don't see many uh, similarities. <laughs> One of the things that I think has been really, really damaging to this whole debate, and I do it myself, is reference to conspiracy theories all the time yeah because a lot of the things that i think are called conspiracy theory aren't really conspiracy theories they're conspiracy facts and um Mm. there are a lot of people conspiring to make money and to seize power which is not in the interest of people at all yeah so they are conspiring and it is happening but um it's the there seems to be a sort of knee-jerk reaction, which I find really, really troubling. And that definitely makes me think that we could be on our road to totalitarianism, especially in, uh, well, in a sense, we're already there because everything is politics. So that is totalitarianism. But mm. as soon as I started to say anything critical of the government as regards to lockdown, people just absolutely jumped on me for and the 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 accusation was made very quickly you're a conspiracy theorist if you don't think what the government's doing is uh, right or sensible you must be a conspiracy theorist i just found that i hadn't hadn't made any hadn't expressed any theory ideas that i had of conspiracy or otherwise i was just saying this doesn't seem um proportionate 
to the risk and it doesn't seem to be working. Yeah. And people's immediate reaction was, well, you must be a conspiracy theorist because I suppose when somebody says something like that, what they're, they're detecting conspiracy then. They're saying if what the person's saying is true, that the government's doing this and it shouldn't be doing it and it knows that it's wrong, then it's conspiring against us. Yeah, it's it's a, it's the phrase conspiracy theory has been seeded by the media, and in fact, um, I forget who it was, but there was somebody I was listening to who was saying that it was actually it was actually uh, originally seeded um, by CIA. by the CIA. I think it was in the mm-hmm. was it in the nineteen fifties? I can't remember. But but a similar thing has happened with the phrase anti vaxxer That that yeah. phrase that phrase has come from the media, and it's it's used like the word, like the phrase conspiracy theorist. It's used to shut down conversations that might be going in the wrong direction and, I, to, and to label people the thing is and i mean it's it's it really annoys me because a lot of my vicar colleagues are very sneery about conspiracy theorists and um and yet and yet as christians i think there's a sense in which there's a conspiracy that we we, we we're all supposed to buy into you know we, we we should be sitting here you know jesus himself says you know from now on there'll be five dividing against each other three against two two against three you know there's going to be undercurrents within society pulling people apart there's going to there's the work of um, malign spiritual forces that uh, that he refers to and paul refers to there's uh you know an, an evil inherent in human beings i mean we, we ought to be conspiracy theorists i mean oh, really didn't, do, uh, didn't we do psalm 2 at one point yeah why do the nations conspire and the people yeah in vain yeah absolutely i mean it's all, there. it's all there in the good book i mean there's this not shouldn't really be a surprise that governments are not benign <laughs> yeah. benign, or, or indeed any other sort of any sort of power sort of human structure is not necessarily benign because we, we preach and we believe that humanity isn't necessarily by default benign yeah. um and uh and it just i just find it very i find it very frustrating because actually people who are open to can you know to, to the idea that there are currents and, and good and evil moving in society are people who, who are ripe to hear the word to a degree you know hmm. so to ignore them and to slate them and to, and to cast them out and to and to patronize them uh, is entirely the wrong thing to do yeah yeah, yeah. um i think i should read this uh, email of the week out because it, it lots of things we've been talking about Um, coalesce in this email so um, I'll read this out this is from Luke so shortly after MP David Amos's murder or Amos murder uh, parliament chose not to even debate the coronavirus the COVID-19 measures he opposed that have seriously affected all citizens and influenced similar draconian policy abroad since March 2020 this means those excessive powers go unchallenged for another six months David was one of the few MPs questioning the narrative that claims that there are benefits from novel and dehumanizing action as espoused by China in the name of a virus. He opposed its effects, unlike the majority, many of whom appear to have vested interests along. Presumably he's talking about MPs there. Um, Along with several other backbenchers, he spoke out regarding the destruction of society's mental health, jobs and economy that pays for the NHS, lack of treatment for non COVID-19 serious issues, the censorship of eminent scientists and doctors, including Nobel Prize winners. He he opposed the move towards biometric vaccine passports slash vaccine passports, uh, central bank social credit systems where the government decides how a citizen is allowed to spend their money and in what time frame. Globally, the same catchphrases are being used to promote what might easily end as digital slavery for the majority build back better previously christian values like good husbandry and looking after god's world have been politically hijacked and twisted with phrases like carbon zero sustainability leveling leveling up 
In fact, they're all phrases from the WEF and UN Directive 2030. You will own nothing and you will be happy. So much for legacy. It's all hiding in plain sight. See head of WEF Klaus Schwab's book from 2020, The Great Reset. It's a thrilling read for anyone who hasn't read it. Um, David Amos also stood, stood against these excesses, sorry, against the excesses in poor regulation of big pharma and big tech companies. The level of corruption is unprecedented. The past year has seen the biggest transfer of wealth the Western world has ever seen. Meanwhile, the effect of global shutdowns impact food and commodity supplies, transport, infrastructure and agriculture. Um, yes. Well, there's a lot there, isn't there, from from Luke? Um, I do. I, I, go on, Tom. Are you, do you want to comment? Well, I, I just wanted firstly the coronavirus measures, and, and it's a little bit. Um, I can I, I agree that there should have there are good example of, of a time where there should have been a debate, at the very least, rather than just sort of passing them um, without uh, a division. But um, the problem is that that's not the the act that the government have been using to uh to to imprison us um they've been using the public health act 1984 i believe yeah. and so i have a feeling that the the um conservative backbenchers of whom uh david um amos or amos amos amos, amos uh, was a member of are actually working on getting that um uh, reformed because that's the core of the problem and, and what they want to do is put a clause in saying that there must be um, a thorough um, examination of the, of, of, of the cost benefits um, and downsides of uh, of any any sort of substantial um, public health measure uh, in order to pass it because currently just all you have to do is have the, the all the, you see it at the top of every single piece of legislation the minister believes this is necessary and that's all you need to have it doesn't even have to be true the minister just has to believe it's necessary mm. it's a sub- subjective truth um yeah and how does so, he, yeah sorry carry on so that's, so that's kind of i mean the government took away took out some of the stuff which they had been using so they didn't so some of the bits that they uh they were um they have dropped and other stuff uh, is mostly the big sort of uh, stuff is done by the 1984 Act. So uh, it's a bit of a red herring to a degree, but I, I do agree that it would be nice to have had at least a little bit of debate about it because as much debate as possible. Yeah, I, think, I think the question, Tom, is why do the government still need the Coronavirus Act when the the crisis is ostensibly over? I mean, yeah. uh, and you know, that's that's that's. Um, that's a very legitimate question, isn't it? Even if they are using the 1984 Public Health Act for some of it. Um, I want to ask Christine, and uh, Christine, I'm not sure we've, we've spoken about this, but do you, do you see, well, it might be a slightly leading question, but do you see the, a link here between the sort of um, the globalist technocracy that we see emerging as a result of coronavirus and what's going on in, in, um, in Glasgow and uh, more generally in, in world politics around COP26 and the um, carbon zero sustainability agenda, as, uh, as Luke calls it. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, yes, but it's the same. The, the whole structure of both issues, the COVID issue and the climate issue and the COP26 conference, it's all the same stuff. There is an interesting parallel that all medical appointments in Glasgow have been cancelled 
for the duration of the COP26 conference. Or oh, GP appointments. All medical appointments. My understanding. They're going to do them online instead. And <laughs> you know, you can understand in a way the logic that you there is no logic in it, but you can understand the narrative. We must cancel um, appointments in the hospitals and in doctor surgeries during a pandemic because we don't want people to catch the virus when they're at a medical appointment. But in Glasgow, they're not having medical appointments to reduce traffic during the conference because they're going to have an extra 25,000 people in the city. And I just think one thing has led on to the other. And this is where we're living in a sort of collectivist, a sort of collectivist society now where everything that we do has to be for the good of the community. You know, this nebulous concept is set down by Nicola Sturgeon, for example, about how we must protect the community. And then we all have to follow these arbitrary rules to commit, collect, protect the community, which, as I've said, isn't working because we have more people dying in Scotland than like ever before for this time of year. Putting that aside now, they're like, oh, well, we've got this uh, climate conference and for the good of the planet, we have to have this climate conference. And then for the good of the conference, you're not allowed medical appointments. You know, it's, it's so immoral. Hmm. Like we've just put Scotland through this. Right? now, And now we have excess numbers of deaths in really huge numbers. And now they're cancelling medical appointments again, hmm. this time for climate. Who are we sacrificing these people for? Yeah. What's it for? Who are the people that we're keeping safe with these ridiculous measures? And this is why I do get a bit cross because I think that individually we have a responsibility to see, judge and act. Mm -hmm. And by not seeing, by refusing to see, failing to judge and refusing to act, we're now in this situation where the government thinks they can just cancel our medical appointments. Yeah. I mean, how many people are going to die because they couldn't get a medical appointment in Glasgow over those, however long it is, two weeks or three weeks, or I can't remember how long they're being cancelled for. I mean, how many people is it going to be? Is it maybe going to be one person or is it maybe going to be 10 people mm. or is it no people? How, how do we know? And, is that acceptable? Mm. Or even if it's if not sort of one death, how many delayed kind of people remaining in pain for another month or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What does that, does that mean nothing to them? You know, we've got a whole load of people dying yeah, because yeah. they didn't get medical appointments. Yeah. And now we're just adding on to those because we don't yeah. care. Is mm. that, is that what, I, it seems to me that people don't care. And, and they, we don't care collectively because if we cared, we would all stand up and say, right, enough of this now. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Well, Nothing matters. And who are we saving the planet for if we're prepared to sacrifice people for it? Hmm. I don't understand. Well, people are being sacrificed for a political ideology, aren't they? And that, that's, um, 
I've been I know I've mentioned I've mentioned this book every every week for the last three weeks, but I have been slowly reading through It's Pat- not the one you wrote, is it, Jamie? No, it's not my it's not Did my you write a book. No, okay, not no. My book, it's not about Charles, Charles Taylor or something. Not Charles it? Taylor and Anglican Theology available. No, no. Um uh the book I've been reading is Patrick Moore's um can never remember yeah. the name, but uh, I'm, reading, I'm reading that as well. Yeah, so it's called Invisible Catastrophe. Yeah, Invisible Catastrophe and Threats of Doom. I've just read the chapter about um, genetically modified food. Now, I don't know anything about this, so I haven't read the counter-argument, but, but Patrick Moore claims that a type of rice that's rich in vitamin A has been developed using genetic modification, which is called golden rice. Now, yeah. um, millions of people every year die um, in countries in Africa and in, in, I think, South Asia or Southeast Asia, where rice is pretty much the only thing they, they eat um, because they're, they're, they're too poor to, to have other types of food. And rice doesn't have any vitamin A in it. So it's very significant that somebody has been able to develop this golden rice with vitamin A because it could literally save millions of lives, right? That's the, that's the argument. But because of the ideology around genetically modified food, this has been opposed and this rice has so far been uh, it's been rolled out in the philippines but in no other country on uh, on the earth because of the activism of organizations like greenpeace which are ideologically committed to opposing a genetically modified food now according to patrick moore there is no evidence at all that there's any kind of problem with golden rice there's no scientific evidence that it's ever hurt anyone or there's any kind of problem with it they're ideologically against it now if that's true and i'm not saying it is and i don't know enough to say you know 100 that i know that it is but if it is true that's that's basically hundreds of thousands of people will die when who who could have who could have been rescued by this vitamin a rich rice but because of this political ideology they are they will die and and that if it's true as i say it's a it's an example of the way that the political ideology is it's obviously such a reality for people that they can't see they can't see the actual human lives that are being destroyed by the pursuit of this ideology and there's something i don't understand it there's some kind of psychological mechanism within human that makes them particularly vulnerable to this this failing. I mean, sin is what you call it from a theological perspective, I suppose. But go on, Tom. I mean, it's 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 hard to avoid a sort of a slightly more nefarious kind of bent on that one, though, isn't it? Because we know that Greenpeace are very concerned about overpopulation. Uh, anyway, are they really? I didn't. Uh, know. Oh well, well, this is the, it's they don't the come out of this. They don't come out of Patrick Moore's book well at all. I can... No, I don't. I'm not surprised. Um, uh, I think the thing about Patrick Moore's book is the relationship between him and Greenpeace is very acrimonious now. Yeah. And so I think you do have to read, I, I mean, I'm reading his book right now and I find it really interesting, but you know, you do have to remember that there is a bit of a. There's, there is an agenda. Yeah. Well, yes. And I then have to think, well, what might you be saying here? That's not true. But my, I've been really concerned about this campaign against golden rice a really long time because right. I think it stinks yeah like it is a really good way it's a really I mean it's not a particularly satisfactory way we should be trying to lift those people out of poverty so that they can eat more than rice but in the meantime it seems like a really easy way to improve nutrition yeah mm. it's exactly the same thing over and over and over again and I believe 
it's because of a lack of religion that we have become over-secularised and people are reaching out for a religious ideology everywhere they can because they can't find it through the traditional channel, which is through Christianity and church. Mm. And, you know, and that's why, I mean, the amount of abuse that I got when I started talking out about lockdown was astonishing to me. Like, it absolutely shocked me. I was not expecting it. And I was saying something which I thought was really clear. Lockdown doesn't work. And it's making nightlife miserable for just about everybody. And it's actually killing quite a lot of people as well. And I would have thought, you might think, you might think I'm talking rubbish when I say that, but I thought that people would hear in what I was saying a concern for people. Mm. They didn't. They just heard something wicked. They thought that what I was saying was evil because lockdown is this noble pursuit and we'll all give up all these things and give up our humanity and stop touching each other. And that makes us really great people. Yeah. And it, you know, it makes you a good person. You're living a righteous life. And what I was saying to them was, no, it doesn't. You, what, you're, what you are doing, you're participating in actually a, an evil ideology. Mm. And it's only destroying life for everybody. And people don't want to hear that because they're doing something that hurts. But we think that they're doing it and it's good. And that's because people are fundamentally good and they want to do the right thing. But what seems to have been lost, and I don't know why, but I think it I think it's because of a loss of religious faith in an actual real religion. The people don't want to take individual responsibility for anything. Do you think like, okay, you know if the government's telling me to do this, then I can just do this. And I'll just follow all these rules and then that'll make me a righteous person. And actually, no, it's the opposite of that. You have a duty as a, an individual to constantly, cynically, sceptically evaluate what you are being told by your government and deciding whether it's right. Yourself, using your own mind, thinking for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you'll be cancelled if you're not careful there, Christine. Yeah, you know. no, it's very dangerous. <laughs> very dangerous. Very dangerous, yeah. But, um, but we'll have to appoint you a uh, bishop if yeah, you're you not careful. I have been cancelled <laughs> many times. Have you? <laughs> well, what I was going to say, it's interesting you talk about um, peop- the breakdown of religion. And I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I'm going to say I think you're right about that. Um, but I think what people want is um, people want meaning, don't they? They want um, something to live for. They want a pursuit of, uh, they want a pursuit of something heroic or virtuous, um, and that's that's one of the reasons I think this narrative has been so popular. It's because people's lives are so meaningless um, a lot of the time in in our kind of culture. They're offered something, right? So they're offered like a war, and that's where this metaphor comes in again: a war and a virus. You can you can be enlisted in this army, and you can you can be involved in this um, this heroic this heroic pursuit of victory against a virus or whatever. So I think there's, I think that, that, that sense of, of needing to have meaning, that's the way I understand certainly that psychological impulse. But I think also in terms of um, the other stuff around, you know, like the sort of the BLM movement or the, the climate change movement, you look at it and you think this looks more like some kind of um, religious um religious enthusiasm or, or, or a religious cult than it does 
a straightforward political movement you know people wearing suits and ties in in a conference room listening <laughs> to, listening to speeches it it's it's these people are it's more than just political it's it's existential i think do, do you know it's it reminds me um you know this sort of pushback um when the when the reformation came to the to, to the church in england um and wow, those are the good good old days tom uh in the yeah the good old uh, 1530s 15th 15th 16th century um good century that um and um actually there was a lot of, there were a lot of really really bad things about it but anyway carry on <laughs> No, but there were some good things. I mean, one or two bad things happened during that time. Yeah, uh, yeah, mm. I did a few, but um, 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 I quite like. Anyway, um, the the point I was making is that there's a resistance to uh, what was obviously, um, uh, you know, a good thing, uh, the sweeping away of Catholic superstition uh, from <laughs> the reform of the reform of the um, the. the the resistance in sort of Cornwall and various places. Let's further alienate our Roman Catholic. I know, I know. Sorry, sorry, guys. Um, who, who we love very much. We do, uh, we do. Uh, consider Christian uh, brothers and sisters. Anyway, absolutely. Um, because a lot of the sort of rituals and uh, sort of uh, things that you know around cults of the saints, around candle guilds, around um, you know particular guild chapels and the sort of chantry uh, services that were put on oh, the chantry chapels are just great Tom they're just so good uh, and the, the this, this, this gave people meaning people. it gave them meaning yeah. so even though they were you know even though the sort of uh, you know the, the, the truth of, of, of the reformation uh, was you know edifying and there to see they, they refuted it because um, <laughs> because I thought I thought Tristan was running away there for a moment uh, because uh, <laughs> because the, the, they felt it stripped their life of, of meaning and that's it, you know, the, the, the lockdown, you know, it, we, we suffered an awful lot and it's much easier to tolerate, you know, basically six months of house arrest if you feel it had some meaning. Yeah. Uh, but if you're just told, well, this is just meaningless, uh, you, then, um, th- then you, you know. Well, well it's, people, it's, can't, people can't give that up, can they? Once they've, no. been, once they've been told you have done this heroic and meaningful and wonderful thing, you've, you're a hero. You know, we keep on hearing this. There's all like this this graffiti in the in the street in Nottingham. Well, it's not real graffiti; it's you know fake propaganda graffiti. But it's all going on about like how you're an everyday hero if you social distance. Really, you know, all the all the graffiti around here is is uh, you know COVID hoax. Anyway. Yeah, well, the, yeah, well, that's that's the kind of graffiti I'm I'm more into personally. Not that I do it, you know, not that I produce any of it. Was it you? Was it you yeah, doing this? Did you? So I'm really, you I'm, the question I'm, is, Jamie. I'm actually, I'm actually Banksy, Tom. In I the, want to know is how do you do the graffiti on railway bridges? You know, I don't. I'm not a graffiti artist personally. You sure? Okay, right. Okay. It sounded like you were for a moment. The serious point <laughs> I was going to make is that <laughs> oh, I've almost forgotten what I was going to say. Yeah, was, I mean, if you think about like what the virtues were in the in the classical tradition you know, what, what heroism actually is. The, the way that this word hero has been twisted and, and made into something different is an abuse of language. You know, you're not, you're not a hero for social distancing. At, at, the, at very best, you are compliant. You know, yeah. you, have, to, you have complied with your uh, yeah. duty as a citizen. You're, 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 yes. benignly, you're benignly compliant. You know, that's not a heroic action. Right. It doesn't involve you endangering yourself. It doesn't involve you making some kind of um, some kind of noble sacrifice on behalf of on behalf of somebody else. You're just spent. You're just like not standing very close to someone. Right. That's not that's not 
<laughs> you know, it's not heroic by any of the canons of um, antique uh, ethical philosophical reflection. You know, I'm sorry. Just like it often happens during any power grab by any body or institution, there's an awful lot of inversion going on. Mm. So to me, the heroes in this story are people who are actually putting their livelihoods and their safety Mm. and their social standing and their reputation at risk Mm. to save. Things like wild things, like you can actually quite safely stand closer than two meters to people. Mm. You're absolutely pilloried for it. Yeah, that's a that's a heroic action. A heroic person is someone who's prepared to stand up and say this is wrong, even if they're wrong to mm. say it. Even if, like, say, let's say my position is wrong on all of these things. The vaccine's fantastic and totally effective and completely safe. Somebody needs to question the narrative. Somebody has to push back against it. Otherwise, you will only ever have more and more power seeding in one direction. Mm. And this is what I find, the lack of ability to listen to an alternative view is becoming pathological in our society. Mm. And these are, you know, in the olden days when you used to have political issues, which were maybe, you know, how much tax should we make people pay? Or, you know, how much should we send to the National Health Service? Things like, questions like that. They didn't affect your every waking moment. There were questions that you could have a lively debate with over the dinner table. It didn't really matter if you agreed or not mm. for your everyday life. This is now like who I'm allowed to touch, whose house I'm allowed to go in, where mm. I'm allowed to show my face in Scotland. Mm. You know, these are there's no way to agree to disagree on these matters. Yeah. I don't wear a face mask anymore. I won't wear one. And you know, for other people, they think that that's an appalling way for me to behave. So now every time I go anywhere without wearing a mask, it's an issue. It's mm. an issue in my head because I know that there's loads of people that think that that's totally wrong what I'm doing. But it, it affects every single thing I do in public. Yeah. yeah. And that's um, the price that we're all paying because people have refused to listen. Yeah think for themselves about whether something's right or not as a group we have failed to do that yeah yeah and in many ways it's it's a it's a lack of um it's a lack of virtue isn't it that that kind of characterizes this whole situation another thing i may have said this on the show before but another one of the virtues that has been subverted is the notion of courage you know courage is no longer a virtue it's actually um it's actually more of a virtue to be afraid and to be and to and to publish your fear you know, I'm so worried about this, like like we saw um, a good old Piers Morgan uh, doing um, so much um, on Good Morning Britain at the beginning of this whole thing. Um, listen, I think we should probably wrap things up reasonably soon because uh, we've, we've been going uh, for a while now. But um, Christine, do you do you um, have you sort of um, said everything you want to say? Is there any is there any sort of parting thought that you want to you want to leave people with or no, no pressure? But if there is anything you want to say. Uh, just to just to round off your contribution yeah the issue that's bothering me the most at the moment is just this excess death 
thing. And I know that probably, I'm probably pre preaching to the choir here, but there's just a chance that there's a new person listening who's unfamiliar, this sort of thing. When we start, and I'm sure all of us are hearing about people dying in unusual numbers now. I've known a lot of people who've died recently, a lot more than normal, I'm hearing about it. We have to hear about those deaths. And while each individual death can be assigned a cause of lockdown necessarily or vaccine or whatever, people have to start thinking, did that person need to die? Yeah. And we have to start recognising that as a that there are so many people dying now in excess. These are people that are being sacrificed to this ideology. Mm. People have to make those two links and we have to start thinking this is wildly unacceptable now. Mm. It's been going on too long and all these conspiracy theorists like myself who've been predicting this stuff is going to happen. I wasn't predicting this stuff because I'm an incredibly smart person full of foresight. It was just obvious that this was going to happen. There should be no surprises here. And mm. as long as we accept this, as long as we comply with these rules and this new way of living that is being imposed upon us, we are going to be killing people. Mm. It's as dark as that. And I'm tired of watching it. It's like watching a slow motion car crash. Yeah. I can't stand it. I'm reporting on this blog all the time when Informed Scotland, the situation gets worse and worse and worse. And I knew this was going to happen. If mm. I knew this was going to happen, you can bet the government knew it was going to happen. And they just don't care. Mm. I'm mm. really tired of it. Like yeah. really, I'm getting so tired. Yeah. What's that, sorry, Christine? That's what I want to say. I'm yeah. getting really tired of watching what I knew was going to happen happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Christine, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I mean, we really appreciate you um, bringing that message yeah. so powerfully and so clearly, and, and for coming on. And um, it's been it's been it's been great to have you. Um, thank you. And um, yeah, I hope I hope we didn't I hope we didn't uh, waffle on too much um ourselves as you see we have a very I special myself i do a fair <laughs> amount of lovely thank um, you very much and thank you for this podcast because it actually really does help me i look forward to the irreverent coming out oh thank you that's very kind of it's very kind of you to say yeah. um just for our listeners we always forget to sort of talk about notices and stuff but if you want to email you can irreverentpod at gmail.com you can support us on patreon patreon.com forward slash irreverence uh for as little as one pound fifty plus vat um per, per month uh, if you want to do that um and we've got our sermon audio thing reverence sermon audio um dot buzzsprout.com and our telegram channel follow us on twitter as well at reverend pod our telegram is now over 800 which is great it's really good a little uh, little thing there we've got going and um yeah i think that's it for for notices and stuff. odyssey odyssey oh yeah 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 um yeah follow <laughs> us on odyssey if you watch the video follow us on odyssey you can't rely on youtube you cannot rely on youtube so follow us it's on odyssey when i'm on <laughs> yeah well you're, yeah. you're yeah i mean we'll, we'll link to your um that's another thing to say so odyssey just first odyssey odyssey.com it's a video platform and uh, just, just type in a reverend faith and current affairs and find us on there follow us um 
I will put all of Christine's stuff on the show notes. So if anyone wants to see uh, Christine's podcast, Corona Stories, uh, the informedscotland.uk website uh, and Christine's videos, I'll put links to all of them on there. And I, I highly recommend you check them out. Uh, the podcast is especially good. Um, there was one <laughs> a few months ago with some somebody really erudite and uh, funny and interesting with some kind of clergyman. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, is it Daniel? Uh, I don't think Daniel's actually, you haven't had Daniel on yet, have you, uh, Christine? He'd, he'd be good. He'd we'll be put good. him on the list. And Tom. Yeah, and Tom. Yeah, William Phillip on there, who's good. Um, he's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, so yes, all of that stuff will be on the show notes. And um, yes, we need to do a prayer. Tom, come on. This is where you shine. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the time that we've spent talking together we pray that your blessing might lie upon anyone who's listened to this that they are minds may be opened um, to uh, your grace working in this world we pray for all the issues that we've talked about we pray for all those who've had adverse reactions to the vaccines we pray for the people of scotland who are still under restrictions we pray for all those who have stood up and said this is enough um, to reclaim the freedom of being human may your blessings be upon them amen amen tom thanks thanks that prayer i i I know you've done the prayer the last two weeks so i put the pressure on you so i'll have to have to do it next time um yeah okay i think that's it then uh thank you everyone for listening thank you christine once again and thank uh, you be with you again next week <laughs>